This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It is good to be back in the studio. I was away at some meetings that I'm not allowed to talk about. No, I'm not allowed to talk about them because I don't really enjoy them that much. But I was in synodical <laughs> meetings, and so I'm so thankful that these guys not only carried the, the load for us last week, but probably improved on the norm. So I yeah. appreciate that. And You missed History Week. Ah, no, that yeah, actually so. does kill me a little bit. Yeah. We are in October, which not only me, but others have designated as Reformation Month. (laughs) And it's a time when we pause and think about what God has done in the past. And 500 years ago, and and 15, 17, a little over 500 years ago, there was a rediscovery. They didn't find new truth. They didn't make new truth. They didn't come to um, create something. What they did is they rediscovered that, which unfortunately had been mostly lost during the medieval time period, um, not dark ages, but an age where there was more darkness with regard to the gospel, that the gospel mm. had been buried. Um, there were still wonderful achievements and, and faithful witnesses to Christ during that time period. However, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli brought back um, in most of its glory the the gospel and and the church was transformed and and we are sons and daughters of that moment and so we have been pausing in different ways to talk about just pausing to reflect on and think about the Reformation and for a little while we're going to look at what are referred to as the five solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Gracia, Solus Christus, and Sola Dea Gloria. And we, over the next little while, we want to look at those five um, doctrinal propositions. And really what we're talking about is that Scripture alone is our sole authority for life and doctrine. When you talk about grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, what you're really talking about is what justification looks like that we don't contribute anything to our salvation other than our sin, that it's the work of God through Jesus Christ, and that it's by grace alone. And the faith that it brings about salvation is a given faith. So it's a the one-sided work of a, the great triune God on our behalf. And then it's all to God's glory alone. So that's where we're the big picture. For a little while, we're going to settle down on the idea of Sola Scriptura. This is oftentimes called the formal principle of the Reformation. I, this is so hard because I want to get into so much that is not necessary. But if you would study the Reformation, there were forerunners to the Reformation that were driving against the church primarily on the practices that the church was doing, the Church of Rome, that 
were just based upon tradition. They weren't based upon anything in the Word of God, and, and sometimes they actually went against the teaching of the Word of God. And two of those men, well, several of those men, you have Huss and Wycliffe and Tyndall, were pushing to say, no, this is not what the Word of God teaches. And really what they were, we were already providing the foundation for is that Scripture alone um, is the sole authority. And so we're going to really just pause a while and think about, well, what do we believe about the Bible? And so the first thing we're going to talk about is that the Bible is inspired. So what does that mean? What does it mean to say that the Bible is inspired? Does that just mean that the Bible is an inspiring book? It motivates, it's captivating, it's engaging? Or what might it else mean? Yeah, I, I, the language of inspiration comes out of Scripture itself as it testifies uh, to, the old, to the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament. Um, when Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, uh, in his second letter, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so to answer your question, it's not the inspiration where you might see an artist look at a sunset and be inspired to mm. paint that sunset mm. or put it in a, you know, in a calendar. Um, this is the inspiration in terms of the authorship. That is, the Holy Spirit is authoring the very words of Scripture supernaturally through its authors while preserving their personal style and character and technique. And to that, uh, when the Apostle Peter in his second letter writes about the, the scriptures, he said, men, like no prophecy ever came about by the will of man, but men moved or carried along, spurred along by the Holy Spirit. So the the Holy Spirit was a work within the prophets of old and those that were used to write the scriptures, but it is God's word. He is the one. And it wasn't like a typewriter, you know, we sit down at a computer and just start like typing away stuff, you know, as Vinny said, I mean, God used the life experiences that he providentially brought into their lives. He used the personalities. He used the styles, the characteristics, the education, or sometimes lack of education that they received, and all to his glory, and uh, gave us his word. So you guys have been touching on what is sometimes called verbal plenary inspiration. What is meant by verbal plenary inspiration? Which I believe all of us in the room hold to. Well, verbal extends to the very words themselves, not just the meaning of the words, that, the, but the ver very word itself. Uh, the, and plenary is referring to something that's complete, full, uh, absolute, all the, all the words of Scripture. So it's not just it, – it, it extends throughout all of Scripture. It's verbal uh, inspiration. The, the word inspiration is actually a Greek word – Theopneustos, which is God breathed. So, in God, when God used these various authors, they it was a God breathed out word through them. You know, when we when we vocalize something, the air has to go through across the vocal cords. In one sense, God is going across those individuals to communicate to us His very word. So sometimes when we talk about the fact that. God uses the human author, uses their background, their, their education, their life circumstances, and, and sometimes people then think that that undermines 
the fact that the Bible is written, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, that acknowledging the human author somehow undermines the doctrine of inspiration. What would you say to somebody that has those concerns? I think it actually helps support the idea of the Holy Spirit's work and giving us the Word of God because it all of these human authors were different and 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 they have these various but when you look at the scripture as a whole written over a period of what about 1400 years 40 different human authors yet it has this cohesive message that it so clearly is interwoven through the whole thing and i like to point out to people sometimes to use and i may have even used it here on the radio and previously but if you take star wars for example you know, and, and it just got a smirk. The audience can't see me shaking my head, but I am shaking my head. You know, Star Wars first movie came out in 1977, and you, we have several movies now and TV shows. But for a while there, you know, there was just those three movies, and then a whole host of books written, and by a bunch of different human authors. And there's all kinds of storyline flaws and loopholes and inconsistencies, and that's a universe that was written about like within our time frame and here you have 1400 years of all these different authors writing and it's this singular cohesive work am i given 30 seconds of just a just a momentary rant <laughs> just <laughs> not if it's about star wars not no. about star okay. wars so one of the the rules that i play within the gospel for life and the, the boise reformation is that i give have the opportunity of buying books and I was so excited this year because th- there were so many reprints of B.B. Warfield's The Inspiration and Authority of Scripture, mm. and I actually got three different versions of that book. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if we actually sold any mm. of B.B. Warfield's book. But it is a classic book on the inspiration and authority of Scripture. I, I actually think it's a, it's a – I don't know if I would say must-read, but it's, it's really – quite close as far as just an understanding of both the inspiration and authority of Scripture and how important that is, not only for the believer, but for the church. So the good news is next year we'll still have some. So mark your calendars for the next Reformation <laughs> yeah, Conference. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go glass copy. half full and say our, our uh, conference attenders uh, assumed the verbal inspiration oh, good. of Scripture. Good, good, yes. good, good. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. That's good. Like, I don't That's need good. this. Yeah. Next, I want to just turn briefly and talk about the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture. They are very much related, and in my mind, they come out of, they're dependent upon, they're the consequence of inspiration. So, maybe let's do some definition stuff first, talk them through what does infallible mean, what does inerrant mean, and why would they possibly come out of inspiration? If we think about the word infallibility, what we mean is that the Bible cannot uh, teach error. That is, the Bible cannot fail to teach the truth. And so that infallibility, uh, unable or without the capacity to fail. And I think both of these are rooted, as Russ said, in the nature of the Bible being the, the Word of God. And so the Word of God reflects the character of God. And so when we speak of the infallibility of His Word, we're really talking about His character. That is, we can take Him at His Word that is 100% trustworthy and truth each and every time God speaks. There is no deceit in him. And inerrancy means? Uh, that it doesn't affirm what is false. That it doesn't teach error. And, uh, you know, they, and it's important to understand that, that you know, we, we believe this ultimately points to the original uh, writings in the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The translations we have are are trustworthy, but, you know, you may pick up your King James Bible and then you pick up your 
ESV and you know they say things slightly differently and that's just because in translation work there can be variation how you say something but you know as we talk about the original language you know there's without error and I, I I think this is important to note I mean there's this large concern at times by people that will say well if you believe that the Bible doesn't have errors and one translation, New King James says something, and the NIV says something different. The Bible, both of those can't be right. So doesn't then that mean that the Bible has errors? And what I would say is that because of the copies that were made over the centuries, and we're talking centuries of work, there are going to be scribal mistakes that were made in the copying of the manuscripts. And that's really what comes out in the various translations is um, scribal errors. But what we're talking about are inconsequential consequential, um, differences. Mm-hmm. Nothing of substance, nothing. And it, you really need to think of the fact that of all ancient writings, um, the Bible is if not the most, it's one of the most vetted and trustworthy documents from the past. Yeah, there's no doctrine that we hold to and taught in Scripture that is in question because of any scribal mistake. And so what that means is that when you pick up your English translation or your German translation or your Dutch translation, whatever version of the Bible you're picking up, you can have confidence that it is the very Word of God. Yep that it has been faithfully preserved by God through the ages, and that you can go into it and say, this is the inspired, infallible, inherent, uh, inerrant Word of God. Amen. Well, that's all we have time for today. We will see you tomorrow.